0: Again, I want to thank you just for joining us, for being a part of uh, this service, which is kind of a unique thing, and uh, I'll be totally honest, it is so much less fun to preach to a camera and our team here than it is to preach to all of you, and so I hope that no matter where you're watching from, or how you're engaging, or maybe you're uh, still trying to figure out the giving links, or you're new, uh, we'd love to hear from you, and you can do that by going to centergr.com new. And the links are in the chat for both uh, centergr.com live and on Facebook. We'd love to just hear from you. Maybe share a prayer request. Or if you just say, hey, I've never been to Center Church, but I want to find out more. You can do that by going to centergr.com new. All that to say, I want to give you a brief update about where we're at as a church before we jump into God's words. It's many of you are probably wondering, okay, I know that we announced that we're going to be closed physically for these two weeks. What's the next couple weeks going to look like? Here's what I want to say. I'm not totally sure. <laughs> I'm not totally sure. I don't know where our community will be at in th- at that point. But here's what I want you to know. This week on Tuesday, we're having another meeting with our executive leaders to say, what does the next couple weeks need to look like uh, for center? And that in some ways is contextualized even above like frontline and new life in the churches that are part of the Zero Collective. So I just wanted you to know that. And just say, watch your email, watch social media for the next couple days. We'll be getting that info to you as soon as we possibly can. Now, uh, what I want to say before we jump into the message is I love Thanksgiving. In fact, it's probably one of my favorite holidays, if not my favorite. The food is great. uh, The the time away is great, especially in what feels like such a hectic season in the fall. Uh, But what I love the most is being with family. It's actually one of the most rare occasions in our year, just as the Gourvettes, because it's the only day in which all of our immediate family gets to be together, spouses, and even some of our grandparents get to join. So this year was a little bit pared down compared to some years in the past uh, for good reasons, but our immediate family got to be together, which was incredible. It filled my soul. I was grateful for it. But why I love it is because we often go back to some of those, those family stories, you know this, you have stories like this. Stories in which uh, you immediately laugh because something was so funny like even 10 years ago, or you immediately gasp at something that happened in your family that even happened maybe decades earlier. One of the stories for for our family is a story of my brother Joel and I, our very first 50-miler marathon. Now, We've run a a few ultra marathons in the past. We decided about three or four years ago to go for a bigger one. So we had run around 32, 33 miles out in the woods, these single track trails. We decided we're gonna go big, we're gonna try, and really the next distance you jump to is 50 miles. Why someone decided to go from 32 to 50 miles is beyond me. I'm not sure, but we decided to do it. So we trained, we prepped, we got all the things ready. We drove a couple hours to the east side of the state, and uh, got our registration, slept well the night before, woke up early, did the race, and threw a lot of Gatorade and bananas, somehow magically finished this race. Uh, 52 miles, they lied, they said it was 50, it was actually 52. We finally finished the race, and there's a picture of, of Joel and I who were just really thankful at the end, talking about Thanksgiving, we were just glad it was over. It was like one of those journeys, and you feel like you just lived a full lifespan in one, one like 11-hour period. So we finished this race, we're excited, we're high-fiving each other. Lindsay's there. We're so it was such a cool moment. So we hop back in the car and I said, you know, the only way we can really recuperate from this race is by going immediately to the nearest Chipotle. And so we drive back to our house and end up at the Kentwood Chipotle, right off M6, uh, just a few minutes before where we lived. And so I said, let's stop there, let's sit down and just enjoy the meal. This is like pre-COVID weirdness where you could sit down and eat places. And so we sat down, uh, we start through the line, I go get my bowl and my brother's right behind me. Well, I notice as I'm about to to head towards the cash register that my brother who started kind of like leaning against the glass is now sliding like against the glass. And my wife is lunging out trying to pick him up because we immediately all figured out the same thing at the same time, the workers and our family, he's passing out. Like he is slowly just fading and crumbling. His eyes are closing and he's saying, my head is hurting. He's just like falling to the ground. So luckily we catch him before he gets to the ground and before uh, Chipotle was in jeopardy and we get him sat down. What We come to find out is he's rushed to the ER. He goes to Metro Hospital just up the road from here and they do some tests and we're sitting there after having run 52 miles for 11 hours and driving two hours back home. It's like 11 o'clock at night, and basically the doctor says, "You are crazy dehydrated, and your body just went through some severe physical trauma that you weren't ready for." Essentially, you just need a ton of rest and fluids. So for the next couple of days you recovered. He's totally fine now. It's a funny story now. It was not a funny story when it was happening. And so what was interesting is, as Joel and I talked even years later, the thing that was really interesting to me to watch, as a, he's my younger brother, was him reflect on why that happened. Now, between the doctors and nurses saying, you are nuts for running that far in the first place, but people have done it before and not passed out. As he reflected, he basically came to the conclusion that after he had run a half marathon that same year, and then graduated to a marathon, ran a 50K, and then ended up running his 50 mile, all of that happened within the span of like 14 to 16 months, like, that's a lot to put on your body. He goes from the short distance all the way to this 50-mile-plus distance. And essentially what his comment to me was, I thought was really interesting, he basically said, I pushed my limits too far. Like, I, I, didn't, I wasn't really equipped to run that. I, I finished it, but my body was not ready. It actually broke me because the trauma and the dehydration I experienced, I just I didn't know how to eat well during the race. I wasn't good at my pacing. There were just some things I didn't know, and I pushed the limits, and it could have been much more severe than just mere dehydration and get rest for a couple days. But here's what's interesting to me, is that there is a tendency in every single one of us to live our lives running at this ultra-marathon pace that we are not equipped to run, to push against our limits and boundaries as a person, as a a human being. And, And there's even a tendency in our culture to resent limits. I was with my brother-in-law who has unlimited cell phone data this week, and I was really jealous because I do not have unlimited data. And there's like this sense of, oh, I just hate that I've got a limit. Some of you remember when cell phones first uh, appeared on the scene of technology and in our world, the limits you had on text messages, the limits you had on phone minutes, all these types of things. But in all of our lives, we tend to resent limits. But here's what I've learned these last couple months as we've walked through this pandemic as a culture, God comes in many disguised forms, and one of them is limits. For some of you, your limit right now is your season of life. Pregnancy, retirement, aging, disease. For some of you, a limit is, is financial. You wish you made a certain amount, but right now you don't. And you're forced right now to live within... Your means, and some of us resent the fact that we do that, and so we get credit cards, we get cars we can't afford, we end up in thousands of dollars of debt just because we hate the limits that we have. Others of us, it, it personally, uh, there's a physical ability limit. There's some things physically I cannot do that I wish I could do. I wish I could dunk a basketball. And maybe you've got a kid who's who's training right now and they're kind of waiting for sports to go back to normal. Uh, I've stumbled across some research this week as the NBA draft kind of finalized and all these things that I kind of nerd out about, is that 0.03% of high school seniors who are at the top class of basketball players ever make it to the NBA draft. So newsflash, if you think your kid is going to be the next Michael Jordan, the odds are stacked against him or her making it that far. Like it's just pretty unrealistic. There's a physical ability limit some of us have. And as a culture, as a community, we've been walking through a giant limit called a virus that has limited our gatherings, has limited our options, has limited our, our restaurant choices. For some of us, has limited social interactions. And again, none of these things, I would say, are, are forced upon us by God, but we should pay attention to them. In some of these instances, God is trying to bring us back into dependence on him over and above, just pushing limits. And I think Jesus models this perfectly. As the son of God, I read through the Bible, Mike. am like, did, did he even have limits? Like, does God need limits on himself? As you look at the gospel, as you see it over and over again, and I really thought the best way to close this series was by looking at how did Jesus model a healthy soul when it came to embracing limits? not resenting them, not pushing against them, not being frustrated at his heavenly father for why'd you put me in this human body? Why'd you make me depend on you in the way? He just models an entirely different existence, one that I desire. And I think God desires for you and I. And so uh, it won't be on the screen. I'm gonna encourage you right now, if you don't have a Bible handy to grab one or grab your phone or pull up an iPad, Uh, we're going to the gospel of Mark starting in chapter one. And in Mark Chapter 1, we're going to jump right into verse 29. Here's what I want to say before we read the text. Now, sometimes we look at the truth of Jesus' words. We look at the doctrine. We try to unpack the theology behind his words and try to figure it out. But today, I want to look at Jesus' behavior, Jesus' model for life. We're not going to just pick out one specific verse and and, and digest it. We're actually going to look at kind of a broader view of a couple different scenes right at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, and try to learn some things from how he embraced limits. And so I want to read, starting in verse 29, and you can read along with me at home. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. Now, this is common in Mark. Over and over again, there's people who are sick There's people who have demons possessing and and oppressing them. There's people who need a miracle, a physical, or sometimes a financial blessing or miracle. And they would come to Jesus needing things. And this, right at the very first chapter of Mark, is the exact picture we get from Jesus. They immediately told Jesus about her, so he went to her. He took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. She began to serve them and, and provide hospitality. But look what happens next. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all of the sick and demon possessed. Mark writes, the entire town gathered at his door. Now, think about this. In some ways, it would be an incredibly overwhelming sight. Think about your entire neighborhood. Just take your neighborhood, not even Byron Center or Kentwood, Wyoming, Dora Granville, wherever you're watching from, but just take your neighborhood. And put them all in a couple buses and then dump them into the church and then have the pastor try to heal and pray and exercise all their demons and figure out all their weirdness. That would be a really interesting event to be a part of. But think about it from their perspective as well. Put yourself in the story. If you have a son who's blind and you know his future and his security and his financial capacity is incredibly limited, you'd want that kid healed too. And so, moms and dads, cousins, uncles and aunts, neighbors and co-workers, they they gather together at his door, and they're looking for the same thing that Simon's mother was looking for, is to be healed. It's to be made whole again. They bring all of the towns sick and demon-possessed. Look at verse 44. Jesus healed many. Jesus healed many. Who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Why does Mark say many and not all? Notice that Jesus doesn't heal everybody. He, he doesn't exercise every demon. He doesn't make every person whole as they gathered at his doorstep, but he heals many. And he exercises many demons. Why does Jesus do this? Why in the first 30 years of Jesus' life does he not heal people and exercise demons and teach things like Sermon on the Mount and teach about the Holy Spirit? In fact, the Gospels really record nothing significant taking place in Jesus' first 30 years. The only significant things that we gather from the Gospel are in the last three of his life. Why is this? Because Jesus understood something. And we'll keep reading through and you'll see this. Jesus understood something you and I so often miss and we push against and we resent, is that the limits of God bring life. The limits of God bring life. The boundaries that God has set in our lives are not things to be pushed against and overcome. They're not something to, to, to balk at or try to, to pay our way out of. They are often invitations into life. The limits of God bring life. And Jesus got this as a human man who was also fully God. Because you see it in verse 35, Mark keeps writing about this. He says, very early in the morning after Jesus has healed many people and exercised many demons while it was still dark. Some of you know what this is like. You get up before dark. You know the quietness and the opportunity and the potential of 4.30 in the morning. Well, it was still that hour Jesus gets up. He leaves the house, goes off to this quiet place alone, and Mark says he prays. He prays. Why didn't Jesus just start healing people at 4.30 in the morning? Why didn't Jesus decide, you know what, I should go back to that town. There were some people I didn't heal. There some some people who are still demon-possessed. I need to free them because Jesus embraced limits. Jesus recognized that the limits of God bring life. And so you can see Simon and the other disciples, they hate this. They're annoyed by this rhythm that Jesus has. In verse 36, Mark writes that Simon and his companions, they go to look for him. They're like, hey, I've got a friend you didn't heal back there. You need to go back and do this. They say, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. To the nearby village. Just let's leave where we're at where we're at, and go somewhere else, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So we traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. Jesus was not consumed by his own potential. He was not consumed by the opportunities, and said, no, 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 Father, I know that you want me to keep moving and keep preaching, but I want to stay here. They like me. I'm healing people. There there was a limitation on Jesus. Even as the son of God, fully God, fully man, there was a humility to him, a different, different rhythm that even the disciples don't understand. As you keep reading at the end of verse, uh, chapter 1, Jesus heals a man with leprosy, and he says, don't tell anyone, because there was even a limit there. He said, don't tell anyone, I don't want everyone to know I'm the Messiah But in verse 45, this leper disobeys like maybe you and I would after we're healed from leprosy. He goes out, he tells the good news, and as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But Jesus stayed outside in lonely places. Even geography for Jesus became a limit that he embraced for himself, yet the people still came to him from everywhere, Mark writes. See, the limits of God bring life. I remember one of the very first times I went to Craigs Cruisers. Some of you have been there, right? Craigs Cruisers, I would put in the top five funnest places to go in the summer. It's like I'm addicted to go karts. And so some of you already know this and have been there with me. I'm like, I don't really care about the arcade. I could pass the buffet. Just get me in that constant rotating line to get into the go-karts. I love it. And so finally, now when I was just coming in out of into middle school age, like 12 or 13, my mom's like, all right, we're going to go. Family day at Craig's Cruiser. So we go, and uh, it was incredible. My mind was blown. This was even before they were all like electric carts. There was gas fumes everywhere in that building. It was crazy. So we get there. Uh, we finally go to the outdoor carts, which I would vote are better than the indoor. You can you can uh, fight me in the comments if you want. As we go to the outdoor carts, we finally get in. I'm sitting in there and just the rumble of the carts. is like one of the best sounds in the world. So finally, we get ready to go. Three, two, one. Beep. They let you go, they pull back the, the barriers and we took off and only to find out that they don't go very fast. Like they look like they're going fast, but when you're in them, they were not going that fast. Until I saw a kid like three carts behind me that clearly had no limiter on his go-kart back in the day. It was like this was a staff cart maybe that somehow slipped into the line. This kid was flying, flooring it up and down. And I was like, I want to be that guy. I've got this crazy limiter on this go-kart right now and it's frustrating. Well, eventually we were all laughing at said 13-year-old kid with buck teeth because he eventually bumps into the wall and starts a massive pile-up rack right in front of me. What's funny about that is that up until that moment, I wanted to be that kid because he had no limits. But what ended up happening was he was incredibly dangerous to the moms and dads and the big fat double carts, to the kids like me who just wanted to drive like a NASCAR racer, to, to everyone in between. He actually became like a danger to them. Because his cart had no limits. That's what happens to us. When we resent and push against the God-given boundaries that are within our lives, that are often blessings from God that we think are, are harmful, or we push against, or we're mad about, we often can do damage, not only to ourselves, but to those around us. And I see this as a pastor all the time. I've watched in specific areas of life, people just like you and just like me ruin their lives miss out on God's best only because they, they fail to embrace their God-given limits and live within the boundaries God has set up. I see this in three ways. I just want to give them to you. Real quick, three incredibly practical areas I see this play out. Number one is finances. When we live outside of the limits God has created in our lives, we ruin ourselves financially. Not only do we get into debt Not only do we fear our possessions getting broken or lost or tainted because we don't actually own them, not only do we get stressed out and worried at the end of the month when we've spent much more than we brought in, but there's a spiritual component to that as well. Some of you have yet to experience what it means to be generous because you fail to live within your limits. It's just not possible for you. You can't even think about it. It's like, I'd love to be a generous person, but I just don't know how I would even get there. Proverbs over and over again reminds that riches, Proverbs 23, 4, and 5 talks about riches basically as as you try to grab them, fly off like a bird in the air, they take up wings like an eagle. When you're chasing wealth and chasing possessions, chasing status when it comes to finances, often, often you will miss out on God's best for you because the limits of God bring life. Some, Some of you in this pandemic have experienced extra margin. There was a vacation that was canceled. You're not traveling with your kids' sports teams anymore. There's just certain limits that have actually been placed on you, and you've probably been frustrated at them, but on the backside, there may be more margin financially. Let that be an invitation to you as a reminder. This is how God has intended you and I to live when it comes to our finances. The limits of God bring life. A healthy soul embraces these limits. I see this in relationships. Uh, two specific groups of people. I see this with parents and their children. Ceasing to embrace the limits that God has placed on your kid as maybe not a basketball star, Uh, maybe not the next Wayne Gretzky, and it causes relational tension. I think about, as a parent, the limits that sometimes it's like, I wish I could do this. I remember when I was single or I remember when I didn't have kids or I remember or if I could only get to that place of an empty nest well then I would have kind of the freedom that God wants me to have and and to failure to to embrace the limits God has placed on your life right now and just embrace and enjoy them to realize this is a season of life I'm not going to get back and others of you guys see this play out when it comes to romantic relationships now you may be watching and you've been married for a long time. You may be watching and you used to be married. You may be watching and you really, really want to be married. You may be watching and you know that God has called you to a life of singleness. And you just know that that's your lane. That's your, that's your environment that God has called you into. And you just know that that's the right thing. Regardless, I see this play out in romantic relationships all the time. What's really, really sobering to me is seeing people that live without limits in their relationships romantically. Now, whether that's sexually or whether that's just availability or accessibility or online, and they end up hurting for decades after simply because they didn't embrace the limits, simply because they didn't put up guardrails and boundaries that God has designed for us to live within, even when it comes to our romantic relationships. I remember uh, one of the first times driving through rural Canada where Lindsay and I went to to college, we were driving through and I kind of looked on the side of the road and Sometimes in like urban areas, you'll have like the big concrete walls, like sound barriers and protection for the neighborhoods around. Uh, But here in this rural part of Canada, it was actually just massive fencing. And they had these kind of unique doors that were shaped like this in which you could get inside the fenced area, but you couldn't get back out. And I thought this was really weird. Maybe you're thinking this is really, really weird, but maybe you've been to a place like this. Finally, I asked somebody who was native to the areas, like, what are these things? And they said, Oh, they're moose fences. They're moose fences. Like the moose tend to, to figure out how to get out of these zones, but we want to make sure they get back in because if you hit a moose, it's not like hitting a deer. And we had friends who lost family members and lost close friends because they hit a moose. It was incredibly fatal. And so these moose fences were not just good for the moose and protecting the native wildlife. They were lifesavers for the people on these highways. Without the fence, without the limit, without the boundary, there would be havoc not only wreaked on the moose himself or herself, but on the people in the car. And when you and I live without limits in our relationships, we do damage not only to ourselves, but to the people around us. Third area is soul care. This fancy word for, for knowing ourselves and embracing the limits and, and taking care of our interior life. So much of us are focused, so many of our lives get focused on what we're eating and how often we go to the gym and the clothes we buy and the cars we drive, which are all external. But if we neglect the internal, the interior parts of us, often we, we erode from the inside out. And so soul carries an area where we need to embrace limits. Uh, the perfect way to illustrate this is through my friend Pete. Some of you know Pete. Pete has served at our church for over a decade and largely has been kind of the set-up, tear-down commando. Like, he is the guy who, for many, many years, just pulled these environments that we have together and got up early or stayed up late to do it. And So not only am I grateful for it, but I've gotten to know him through that. One of the most interesting things for me was sitting across the table from Pete uh, about a year ago now, and him having to say, you know what, I've really got to step away from setting up tearing now. I've got some major physical challenges, and it was a huge move on Pete's part of self-awareness to say I'd rather care for my soul and my marriage than just keep doing this. I- I've embraced a, li- a limitation, and I was kind of bummed about that. I was like, man, he's great at it. He's a humble person, incredibly servant-hearted. I'm going to miss that. How are we going to fill that gap? So. COVID hits. We were shut down for a couple months. We opened back in July, set up Teardown, had to resume in some form outside, and then we moved back in here in, more, in a more full way. The whole time, Pete wasn't a part of that team, really. He just physically couldn't do it. It was a limit that he had placed on his life externally. And so we started to have the conversations about the building, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, it would be great if I knew someone who had a construction background works in construction now, has a ton of accounts and clientele that that work in the industries that we're going to need to renovate this space, and has a love for God, a heart for lost people, is inviting people to our church actively. I wish I knew somebody like that. Then I sat there and thought, that's exactly who, that's Pete, like that's who I'm thinking of. And so Pete and I sit down and I said, hey, would you step in, just be this building team lead, like really lead the charge on the, on the operation side of this as a pastor. I know nothing about that. I would love for you to help. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Boom. Like, and some of the blessings that you don't see behind the scenes, even with this new facility, are because Peter stepped into that role. But he would have never experienced that if he didn't embrace the limits that God had placed on him. God's limits, his boundaries, they bring life Adam and Eve's first sin in the garden was breaking God's limits. The idea that they didn't need to listen to the boundaries that God had set up. They could do it on their own. They could move on on their own. And yet sin entered the world through them pushing against and resenting these limits. Here's what Pete Cazero says in, in, his, in a book where he talks about this. He says, Maturity in life is when someone is living joyfully within his or her God-given limits. Let me say that one more time. Maturity in life is when someone is living joyfully within his or her God given limits. What happens if we fail at this, though? Because as you see, Jesus' story, he was certainly tempted to, to push against the limits. Even the temptations in the wilderness Jesus experienced, you can read about those in Luke 4, we're all pushing against the limits that, that God the Father had set in place in Jesus' life. But he lived successfully. And on the other side of that, we have victory and redemption and salvation because there was a humility about Jesus that allowed him to be nailed to a cross so you and I could have grace, could have hope again, could have dreams again, could live in right relationship with God himself. But what if we fail at this? If we fail at this, we're likely going to do some combination of these things burning out, stressing out, fracturing the most important relationships that we have through an affair or gossip or abandonment, losing some of the most precious people in our life because we've started up new addictions to cope with these new stresses, these resenting, this resentment of our own limits, bitterness at God. Why did you put this limit on me? Resentment at other people, why do you put this limit on me? Here's what I know. Some of you have literally landed yourselves in the ER physically, spiritually, emotionally because you've pushed against God's limits. And the Spirit of God today is inviting you and I through Jesus' behavior, His model to say, you don't have to live that way. There's a better way. The limits of God, they bring us life. The boundaries he set up actually enable us to live the life that we've always wanted. And friends, to be honest, vacation can't do that for you. A half day, a new habit, a different car, a different house, those things are not going to get you to the place that you can only arrive at when you embrace God's limits. I'll close with this. I really found myself wrestling with this idea about a month ago. Some of you know that I started my master's degree in August and uh, have prayed and, and supported me in that. I'm really, really grateful. What's interesting, though, is what they don't tell you when you start your master's degree and you maintain your full-time job is that you're essentially adding another part-time job on top of a full-time job. So a full-time job working 45, 50 hours a week, but then you add 10 to 15 hours of papers and discussions and Zoom calls and all these things that are involved in starting a master's degree. And I was sitting there uh, just on my way to a meeting, actually, I was driving to a meeting about a month ago, and I started to get really sweaty, which is a sign for me that I'm really stressed or nervous about something. It's, a, it's, a, it's an indicator, like just like an empty light on your, on your car shows you you need gas. That's kind of an indicator for me. I started to get really worried My heart started to pound. I started to get a slight headache, which I never really get headaches. I just started to feel overwhelmed, like physically overwhelmed. Almost to the point I shared with Lindsay later, I felt like I may need to pull over. It's like a 15 minute drive to this meeting. I'm like, am I gonna make it? It finally passed and what some of you would probably describe as a panic attack or just anxiety overcoming you physically. Make it to the meeting go through the rest of my day, and I started to reflect on that. I was like, what in the world was happening? Because that's really rare for me. I thought about it, and I knew I was about to preach this message. I was reminded that even for myself, there are some things I've got to say no to so I can say yes to the most important things God has placed in my life, including school, including leading here at Center, including my marriage, including being there for my family. There are limits that I was pushing against and God was trying to get my attention to say, you were not built to do it all, to live at at five, 6,000 RPMs all of the time. There are seasons where you push, but you need to be willing, John, to embrace my limits, to live within the boundaries I've created for you. my calendar had to change. There were some things I, I wanted to say yes to that I have had to say no to because I, I'm starting to believe and to learn personally for myself. And I get it wrong a lot of the times that the limits of God bring life. So where are you today? Living without limits. Where is God inviting you to, to rest or to reprioritize or to say no so that you can say yes to the best things he has for you, to time with him, to a life full of freedom, to a life of dependence, to financial security and freedom that comes from living within your means, to relationships that are healthy and whole, to a soul that's right with God and is self-aware. How does the spirit want to guide you to a life like that? What I want to do is pray for you. Then we're going to sing the song that we sang right before I got up here as a reminder of God's faithfulness, a reminder that even if we can't see everything, even if we have these physical limitations as finite beings, that God is still working and still faithful and actually is moving through it. So would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are moving. I thank you that you are faithful. Selfishly, I thank you that even though I don't know what Christmas is going to look like, that you are in the details, you are in the behind the scenes work of, of restoring not only our world, but our own lives, our families, our community, our church to you. And God, I pray that you'd help us in areas where we push against your limits, where we resent the fact that we're getting older, that we're getting sicker, that we're financially not where we want to be, that relationally, that we're not there yet. That you'd remind us just to embrace limits, to humble ourselves under your presence and under your hand and just say, God, I'm not enough. I am much weaker than I admit. I'm much more frail than I'd like to imagine. And yet you are more faithful and hope-filled and gracious and strong than I could have ever dreamed. So we thank you for your limits. We thank you for these small invitations every single day to trust you more, to humble ourselves more and to depend on you in a fresh and a more surrendered way. We love you and it's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey. Selfishly, I know this is the kind of time where you maybe check out or you move on to something else. I want to encourage you to stick around, to engage in this moment, to not let God's voice and spirit pass without meeting with him again and letting him speak to you. So let's sing and let's worship this God together.